picture, if you will. Two bearded idiots sitting in a kitchen, drinking wine, and having a Halloween special. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody, welcome back to Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. I'm Rob North. And I'm your co-host, Chris Miller. And today, we are bringing you our little... TRR Halloween special. It's spooky season. It's spooky season. We are going to be bringing in our top five countdown of the creepiest ghost ship stories that we could come up with. So, we, uh, I don't think we're going to waste any time. I think we're going to get right into it. Yeah, we're just going to move right along through this because I know it's Halloween and you all have lots of spooky things to do. Mm-hmm. Coming in at number five, The Young Teaser. The Young Teaser was an American privateer schooner that set out from New York City during the War of 1812, carrying five guns, three Quaker guns, which are dummy cannons made out of wood, and 65 men, and set out under the command of a Captain Dobson on a privateering cruise against British shipping in the waters off of Nova Scotia. She was relatively successful in her endeavors, capturing 12 British merchant ships in the span of two and a half months, whilst avoiding capture by Royal Navy vessels patrolling the area. But by late June, she was under pursuit from several large British vessels, and on June 27, 1813, she was eventually cornered in Mahone Bay on the southwest side of Nova Scotia, near Halifax. Struggling to find an escape route, she was soon caught between Rafuse and Mason Islands by the 74-gun ship of the line HMS Hogue, with no wind in her sails to help her escape and under long-range British cannon fire. The crew of the young teaser began to grow desperate, as many of them had been captured before aboard other ships and paroled by the British, swearing, under pain of hanging, to not take up arms against the British again, and would surely head to the noose if again caught. As the Hogue launched five boats full of men to board and capture the poor American vessel, it was said that the young teaser's first lieutenant, Mr. Johnson, one of the parolees, began to descend into a fit of madness at the thought of being hanged by the British and seizing a match disappeared below. As the British boats drew closer, closer, preparing to board, with a massive roar, a fiery explosion engulfed the young teaser, sending ships, timbers, ropes, and bodies flying all about. Of the 37 men still aboard, only a few survived the explosion badly burned. They were taken to a prison camp, their wounds treated, and most would go on to see home again at the end of the war. But even as she burned to the waterline, that's not the end of the story of the young teaser. On that same date, the very next year, the people of Mahone Bay were startled to see a schooner sailing towards Mason Island at full sail, and when it reached the waters where the engagement had been fought, it disappeared in a column of fire and smoke, but without making so much as a sound, and leaving no trace in the waters around it of any bodies or debris. The same apparition appeared the very next year on the same date, and on every June 27th since, Sightings of a schooner disappearing in a burst of flame and smoke have continued to be reported. But that's not all that the people of Mahone Bay see. People on board their own boats in the bay have reported a flaming schooner looming out of the fog, seeming to head straight for their boat in an inevitable collision, only to fade to nothing. Sightings have been made from shore of a burning schooner in the distance, full of flame, but with the men still climbing in the rigging, and in the distance, cries of men screaming as they attempt to escape the flames can be heard. 
Other stories of the mysterious teaser light continue to be reported to this day. A mysterious light burning in the fog on dark nights when no boats are out, traveling slowly across the bay with no clear source of fuel and simply disappearing without a trace, often foretelling of storms or disaster to come. Why does the young teaser continue to sail in Mahone Bay to this day? Perhaps because the bodies of the crew slain in the explosion were buried in nearby Chester by the water, and their spirits never realized their mission was so suddenly cut off. Or perhaps it's because the ship's remaining timbers were salvaged and used to make support beams for the local inn and the cross in nearby St. Stephen's Church, and the spirit of the ship herself is bound to the area. We will likely never know, but what we do know is that on some dark night, when the fog rolls in, someone in Nova Scotia will see the young teaser once more. It should be noted that the young teaser is more often seen when the moon is full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine was actually in Mahone Bay uh, and did see the teaser lights. Yeah, they saw the teaser lights through the fog, but whenever the fog kind of rolled out, it was uh, it was on not the twenty seventh. <laughs> I think it was like the twenty fifth. Yeah, but it was a full moon. Mm-hmm. But the teaser lights are a real thing. Like it looks like a flaming ship, and it's, it really does. It, it's we're not here to debunk these stories. We're no. just here to tell them. But it's um. Yeah, you can find a lot of truth uh, kind of buried in, in quite a few of these. Yeah. And the teaser lights are 100% real. Yeah. Uh, they're photographed. You can Google them, and you can find pictures of the teaser lights. And uh, it, they just, for whatever reason, happen to coincide with the moon being full <laughs> and in a certain part of the sky. It's What's also kind of fun is, you know, we're talking about the story of this ghost ship, is after news of the... Of the explosion and the loss of the young teaser, uh, another privateer vessel the next spring sailed out of New York City, and the name of the vessel was Ghost of the Ghost of Young Teaser, which I think is really really fun. Yeah, you know all these privateers going, you know what's going to fuck with the British, <laughs> thinking the young teaser's back, and and supposedly it was the same style ship. It was a two masted schooner about the same size, same number of guns. And they called her the ghost of Young Teaser. That's a pretty good movie. Which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Very, very spooky. All right, let's uh, let's move on let's to m- number two in our countdown. Yep. Coming in, in the number four spot, the Lady Lava Bond. The Lady Lava Bond was a three-masted British sailing vessel that left the Thames River on February 13th, 1748, to make a journey to Oporto, Portugal. The journey took them along the southern Kentish coast towards the most treacherous part of the English Channel, the Goodwin Sands. Goodwin Sands sits at the north end of the Strait of Dover and is a ten-mile-long, constantly shifting sandbank that it that is the home, it said, to some 2,000 shipwrecks over the years. The captain, Simon Reed, had just gotten married, and despite the long-standing sailor superstition that it was bad luck to have a woman on board a ship for a voyage, he was accompanied on board by his new wife, Annetta. According to the legend, John Rivers, first mate of the vessel and best man at the captain's wedding, had once been a rival for Annetta's hand in marriage, and as he had to spend more and more time around the newlyweds, he grew more and more agitated, pacing the deck in barely controlled fury. Finally letting his rage boil over, Rivers grabbed a heavy, club-like belaying pin and, creeping up, bashed Captain Reed and his new bride over the head, killing them. Then he seized the ship's wheel and grounded her on the sandbank, 
leaving her to be smashed apart by the heavy surf and drowning every soul aboard. Nothing more was heard of the unfortunate vessel and her occupants until 50 years later to the day, February 13th, 1798, when two vessels reported seeing a three-masted schooner in distress upon the sands, but when they sent boats out to assist, the entire vessel vanished before their eyes. Again, nothing was heard for another 50 years beyond the dot. But in 1848, the vessel appeared again, prompting the new Royal Lifeboat Service to deploy boats to assist, only to once again have the vessel disappear without a trace before their eyes. And so it has continued every 50 years to the day. Reports flow in every time the date rolls around of a three-masted schooner either wrecked upon the dangerous shoals of Goodwin Sands or sailing in the area, giving off an eerie glow. And there's only another 30 years until she may once again reappear like clockwork to remind us all of her untimely fate. This story is really sad. It is. Of all the phantom ship stories, there's this one is, is very heartbreaking. Just because the the first mate couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And just ended ended everyone. Well, I mean most there are so many ghost stories that deal with unrequited love. love. Mm-hmm. And this one is no different. It just so happened that it took place on board a ship and you know, perhaps he he couldn't deal with what he did. He couldn't handle the fact that he just committed murder and he grabs the wheel and just puts them right onto the sands. Another one that bears mention in this is something that comes up quite often is that all of the crew of these phantom ships, which there is a difference between ghost ships and phantom ships, and we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, they all die. But somehow everybody knows the story. Yeah. <laughs> and the Lady Lovabond is one of those. Yeah, it's... Um, supposedly, the, the Lady Lavabond was actually spotted in 1998 by Prince Edward, the, uh, the nephew of Queen Elizabeth of England. He was filming some, some, uh, some special for the BBC. And yeah, I've, I've heard the story that it was, was caught on camera. I've heard the story that it wasn't caught on camera, but he supposedly saw this sort of in the distance, in the, in the mist, in the clouds. He could see this uh, this three-masted schooner sailing off of Goodwin Sands, and it just disappeared right in front of everyone's eyes, which I think is cool. This is 1998. This isn't that long ago. No. And then uh, in some of the, like, ships are dispatched. Crews mm-hmm. are dispatched to help the ship. Every time. Every time. The call and always these... goes out, ship in trouble on Goodwin Sands, because it happens a lot. Right. And it... The one was a Royal Navy vessel. These weren't yeah. fishermen. These weren't amateurs. This is a Royal Navy vessel that yeah. saw a ship in trouble. 1948. Yeah, yeah. There was a Royal Navy destroyer that <laughs> rolled in, and then this thing just and then whew, disappears. Disappears. Right, so that's the story of the Lady Lavabon. Shall we move on to number three? Let's take on number three. Number three. We're going to be going a little bit closer to home here. Yeah, we have the Eliza Battle. Number three, the Eliza Battle. <laughs> The Eliza Battle was a side-wheeled luxury paddle steamer riverboat built in Indiana in 1852 and was soon making runs between Columbus, Mississippi and Mobile, Alabama on the Tom Bigby River, carrying wealthy passengers, including on one occasion President Millard Fillmore, in her stately saloons. She left Columbus on, in late February 1858, carrying 60 passengers, 45 crew, 
and a cargo of 1,200 massive bales of cotton. On the night of March 1st, 1858, near modern Pennington, Alabama, the night was pitch black. The river was in flood, a strong north wind was blowing, and the temperature dropped down near to freezing. Around 2 a.m., it was discovered that some of the cotton bales had caught fire, and while the crew battled valiantly to put out the flames, the strong winds simply overcame their efforts. Cut off from the lifeboats by the burning cotton bales, passengers in their nightclothes began to jump into the water as flames ripped through the vessel, eventually igniting her coal bunker. Several of the passengers and crew were trapped aboard the floating inferno and incinerated, while others drowned or died of exposure and hypothermia in the freezing cold. Survivors made it to the riverbank by clinging onto the tops of cotton bales or pieces of wreckage, and some were found in the treetops as the flood tide receded. Of the 105 people on board, some 33 met their end that night. The Eliza Battle herself drifted downriver to Kemp's Landing, eventually sinking in 28 feet of water, where her remains lie to this day. But since then, the apparition of a side-wheel riverboat has been seen on the Tom Bigby River, engulfed in roaring flames so bright there's no mistaking the words written on the bronze nameplate on her side. Eliza Battle. But the towering flames never seem to give off any heat. As boaters and bargemen move to assist the flaming vessel, she always disappears, leaving nothing but the faint smell of smoke in the air. Others tell of the sound of screams and of terror and pleas for help in the middle of the night along the, along the river, or the strains of old-style piano and fiddle music, but with no visible source for the sound. But what truly terrifies those who make their living along the Tom Bigby River is not the appearance of the Eliza battle, but what follows. As folklore says that an appearance of the ghostly riverboat is an ill omen, a sign of disaster to come, and her sightings have been tied in with the worst disaster on the Tom Bigby River to happen since. The James T. Staples was another riverboat steamer plying the river, transporting passengers and cargo, built around the turn of the century, but her owner and captain, Norman Staples Jr., was having financial troubles and his creditors had taken possession of the ship. On New Year's Day, 1913, Local newspapers circulated a report of another appearance of the Eliza Battle on the river that night. And the next morning, Captain Staples was found dead with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. A week later, further reports of a mass sighting of the Eliza Battle again were reported by local papers with over 50 witnesses credited. And on January 10th, 1913, the very same day, the side of the James T. Staples was ripped open by a boiler explosion that sank the ship in the span of little more than a minute, killing 26 and injuring 21. And now, over a century later, the stories of this flaming harbinger of disaster, the Eliza Battle, still continue to be told and sightings reported, always followed by death, mayhem, loss, and destruction. This is a cool piece of Americana. A lot yeah, of ghost ship it. stories are... A lot of stories from the Golden Age of Sail have mm -hmm. very little to do with the United States, so at least we can claim this one as our own. Yeah, this one... This one is... Uh, this one's super cool. Mm -hmm. I like this one a lot because it's not an ocean-going ship. This is a riverboat. Right. And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of really big riverboat fires over the years, uh, particularly in the antebellum period right before the Civil War. 
but yeah, this one, you know, you can tell this story and you can almost hear the uh, the old fiddle and harmonica music underneath People it. People still uh, claim to see it. Yeah, like it's it's still a thing. Uh, there's a. Well, I took a look. The most recent report of seeing the Eliza battle full in full flame on the river was less than two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Somebody yeah, made it's a right off. Report. It was uh, was that. Because I looked, in, was that the guy that was in the car, or was that a boat? Because there was a man that was driving, said he pulled over on a bridge, mm-hmm. and it turns out that it sunk. Like Kemp's Landing, yeah, is is the site of a major bridge. It's it's I forget what the road is. It's yeah, like the the ship is like State Route One Eighty One, five hundred five hundred feet from the bridge, like yeah. where the where the ship rests now. It's right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one's cool. That one's cool. And this thing, and the Eliza Battle is seen a lot. A lot. It's a, it's a lot. There are people from the, who live in that that part of the country who tell stories who've seen it multiple times, multiple times, and the first time it freaks them out, and then they hear the story and they go, "Oh, there she is again." I hope everybody's okay. And this is one of the one of the ones that really can't just be explained away with atmospheric conditions. No, never really matches up. No, because the flames are so bright that you can see Eliza Battle on that bronze nameplate on the side. There's no mistaking it, and. When most people see this, it's close. Close enough that those flames should give off heat that you can feel, but they don't. I love that one. It's super creepy. Yeah, that one's pretty unsettling. Yeah, that one that one sends a chill down your spine. Speaking of chills down our spine, the next one is, is one of our more interesting... Yeah, this one's spooky. So let's move on to number two. What, what do you think? Yeah, this is the Mary Celeste. Number two, the Mary Celeste. The Mary Celeste was an American merchant brigantine built and launched in Canada in 1861. By 1872, she had changed hands several times, been heavily renovated, and it ended up under ownership of a small consortium of businessmen from New York under the captaincy of one Benjamin Briggs Sr. On November 7, 1872, the Mary Celeste set sail from New York's Pier 50, carrying 1,700 barrels of denatured alcohol. Captain Briggs, his wife, their two children, and a small crew of seven, all bound for Genoa, Italy. Nothing was heard from her until December 4th, when a Canadian merchant vessel on the same route, the Dei Gratia, found her several hundred miles off of Portugal, her erratic movements and odd sail setting giving the captain, who knew Briggs, the impression that something was wrong. Upon being sent in the ship's boat to investigate, several of the Dei Gratia's crewmen boarded the Mary Celeste to discover a truly mysterious set of circumstances. She was completely empty, no sign of life on board whatsoever. The sails, partly set, were in a poor condition, some missing altogether, and much of the rigging was damaged, with rope hanging loosely over the sides. The main hatch cover was secure, but the fore and lazarette hatches were open, their covers beside them on the deck. The ship's single lifeboat had been stowed across the main hatch, but was missing. And the binnacle housing the ship's compass had shifted from its place, its glass cover broken. There was about three and a half feet of water in the hold, a significant but not alarming amount for a ship this size. A makeshift sounding rod, a device for measuring the depth of the water, was found abandoned on the deck. The last entry on the ship's daily log found in the mate's cabin was dated at 8 a.m. on November 25th, nine days earlier. It recorded the Mary Celeste's position as being off Santa Maria Island in the Azores, nearly 400 nautical miles from the point 
where the Dei Gratia encountered her. The cabin interiors were wet and untidy from water that had entered through doorways and skylights, but were otherwise in reasonable order. In Briggs' cabin, they found personal items scattered, scattered about, including a sheathed sword under the bed, but most of the ship's papers were missing, together with the captain's navigational instruments. Galley equipment was neatly stowed away. There was no food prepared or under preparation, but there were ample provisions in the stores. There was no obvious sign of fire or violence. The evidence indicated an orderly departure from the ship by means of the missing lifeboat, but where was the crew? Or Captain Briggs and his family? Why had they abandoned a perfectly functioning vessel so far from shore? The Mary Celeste was then towed to Gibraltar and sold to the captain of the Dei Gratia for salvage after an admiralty court hearing. She continued to be used as a merchant vessel for another 13 years, finally meeting her end after being grounded off a reef off of Haiti. But the misfortunes didn't end there. Her, her last three captains had all died prematurely, and her owners at the time of her destru destruction faced fraud charges over an allegation that the grounding was intentional and that false insurance claims had been made. And of the three defendants, one went mad and was committed to an asylum, one committed suicide, and the other died penniless three months later. But the true mystery of the Mary Celeste was what happened to the crew in 1872. Several theories abound, including equipment malfunction. A faulty pump left the ship, unable to pump water out of her hold, putting her integrity in danger. But the ship's chronometer was also found to be faulty, possibly leaving Captain Briggs to believe that the ship was much closer to land than she actually was. But why not note that in the ship's log? And why not take any provisions with you? There's also the lifeboat. Captain Briggs may have moved everyone onto the lifeboat, thinking there was the danger of a chemical leak within the cargo of denatured alcohol, which can give off very, very harsh fumes, and then keeping the boat tied to the ship until the danger had passed. But the line broke, leaving the boat to drift away. But why not just row the boat back to the ship if that happened? And those who unloaded the ship in Genoa found no cracked or broken barrels, nor any indication of a chemical leak. Maybe there was foul play. That the crew of the Mary Celeste was indeed attacked and murdered, thrown overboard, or set to drift in the lifeboat until they died, perhaps by the crew of the Dei Gratia, in order for their owners to gain a very valuable asset and cargo. Also theorized is that the crew were attacked by Riffian pirates, a group of pirates operating off of the western coast of Morocco during this period. And the possibility that a also, that a member of the crew went mad and killed everyone else. However, there was no evidence on the ship of any violent action, no evidence of any harm, no bloodstains, nor any sign of looting. Perhaps it was natural phenomena. Theories abound in this field from water spouts to rogue waves to a sea quake that would have caused the alarm regarding a leak and possible explosion in the Mary Celeste cargo hold, but even though the rigging was ragged, any of these options would have done much more damage to the ship in order for the crew to abandon her. Perhaps the flour within the ship's provision contained ergot fungus, a mold known when consumed has similar qualities to LSD. Maybe it drove the members of the crew mad and they felt the need to leave the ship. And of course, paranormal phenomena. Many have theorized that the crew was taken away by extraterrestrials. Or perhaps they now find themselves in a parallel dimension having moved through some sort of gateway. Others say that the spirits of deceased crewmen of the Mary Celeste from earlier voyages had taken them, 
or that they were even perhaps kidnapped and taken captive by inhabitants of the lost colony of Atlantis. Others suggest the sighting of or an attack by some terrible sea creature. The only thing we know for sure is that since that day in 1872, the mystery of the Mary Celeste has fascinated people for a century and a half, and continues to do so. It's also said that on dark nights in New York Harbor, in Gibraltar, and in Genoa, you can still see the Mary Celeste take to the waves once more, perhaps seeking out that crew that fled her so very many years ago. Mary Celeste is absolutely fascinating mm -hmm. because there is no logical answer. There's dozens of explanations, but none of them can explain everything. Right. There's always a, well, it could have been food poisoning, like on mm -hmm. the terror, but, eh, like all the stores seem pretty fine. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no generally accepted reason the ship was abandoned. Yeah, and, and this, I and the, the story of the Mary Celeste took off. It became a very big news sensation at this period. And, and you know, they, the ship was used for another 13 years, but people would have, tr they would, the, the company would have trouble getting a crew because nobody wanted to be on this would ship. You, would you sign up to be I don't on the ship that, the, that may have been set upon by sea monsters? I don't think I would. And I'm not I even particularly, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a superstitious guy. Sailors are a notoriously, are a notoriously superstitious lot. So, yeah, it makes sense. But, yeah, this one, it fascinates people to this day. I mean, people have tried to explain this. There have been television specials about There's the Mary Celeste, no books written. Explain it. And nobody's come up with a good enough answer thus far. So, that leaves us with our final uh, pick in our top five list, but we went over a lot of different stories. Yeah, we found a couple creepy ones that, yeah. while they're not a phantom ship, and to, I don't know if these I'm are not. stories that, you know, we wanted to do a top five list, and these these weren't didn't quite make it into our top five, but we decided to put them in anyway. I think we have a couple honorable mentions here. Yeah, while they are not phantom ships, you don't see these. Vessels still plying the waters. Uh, they're not searching out their abandoned crews. But there are some definitely creepy stories these that surround stories what happened are, to are genuinely bothersome. Like the yeah, both of these stories send a chill down my spine when I when I read them. And so let's get to our first honorable mention. Uh, well, let's start with the Octavius. Let's start with the Octavius. I think this one is is really going to entertain a lot of you. The Octavius was a three-masted British schooner found on October 11th, 1775, by the whale ship Herald, west of Greenland. Boarded as a derelict, when the five-man boarding party came aboard to investigate what they could salvage, they discovered, to their horror, that the crew of 28 men and boys were all still aboard. Below decks, every one of them dead and frozen, yet perfectly preserved their bodies still appearing exactly as they had in life. In the captain's cabin, they found not only the captain's dead wife and son, but the captain himself, sitting upright, frozen, at his desk, pen still clutched between his fingers. In a panic, the boarding party took only the ship's log as they fled the horrific scene, and upon further examination, they found that the last entry was dated the 11th of November, 1762. 
Thirteen years had passed, with the crew frozen and untouched, and the ship had drifted nearly four thousand miles from its last noted location in the Bering Strait. Yet wooden ships in the Arctic don't last long, tending to be crushed and broken up by the ice. Why had the Octavia survived so long? Was there some supernatural force that had claimed the lives of the crew and somehow protecting the ship from the environment? All that is known that after being boarded by the Herald, the Octavius was never seen again. But who knows? Maybe she's still out there, her frozen crew, waiting to be once again discovered by some unfortunate souls who decide to come aboard for a look. <laughs> I oh, love this man. one. For 13 years. <laughs> and looking into this one, because you think a ship for 13 years in, at this time in that environment. Mm -hmm. The logbook exists. Yeah. The logbook exists. By the captain and the crew were never seen again. That is deeply, deeply unsettling. It's disturbing. Yeah. This one, it, because... Yeah, the, the, the Arctic is not a... Is not an environment in which wooden ships survive very long. You know, in the period of, you know, the Franklin Expedition and, and all these exploratory voyages, especially in the second half of the 19th century, if you were going in a wooden ship, you had to reinforce the damn thing. Mm -hmm. And half the time, even when the ships were reinforced, you get caught in the ice and then the ship would just be broken up. And, you know, that led to a lot of death and a lot of mayhem. But this ship was not meant to be sailing in the Arctic. But for 13 years, she's still floating around. It completed the Northwest Passage. Yeah. Something the log explores. The last entry in the log was from Alaska. Yeah, off of Alaska. And now this thing is found between Nova Scotia and Greenland. I don't think it went around the southern tip of South America, so... Yeah, it's highly unlikely that she came back yeah. up. What's weird is this... Is this vessel... Had managed to... Find... This... This... Had managed to achieve what explorers had spent centuries trying to do. Yeah, it cost hundreds of lives. And nobody on board was alive for it to happen. That one's spooky. That one was really unsettling. Yeah. Now we have another good one here. Yes, we do. The Orang Maidan. This one's a lot more recent. Yeah, this is, what, the 50s, correct? 1940s. 1940s, okay. In the June of 1947, a distress call was picked up in the Straits of Malacca between Sumatra and Malaysia. And the unknown ship's Morse code message was as simple as it was disturbing. All officers, including the captain, are dead, lying in the chart room and bridge. Whole crew possibly dead. This was followed by a burst of random, indecipherable code, followed by two simple words. I die. The chilling message was caught by a pair of British listening posts, triangulated and traced to a Dutch freighter called the Orang Maidan, and two nearby ships were dispatched to assist. The first to arrive was an American freighter named the Silver Star. As she neared the Orang Maidan, the, the Dutch ship was drifting, no sign of life on the deck and no response to any of the Silver Star's hails. Sending a boarding party aboard, the poor men on the ship's launch had no idea that they were about to walk into a nightmare. As soon as the Americans boarded, they swiftly realized the distress calls were no exaggeration. The bodies of the Orang Maidan's crew were littered below decks, arms grasping at unseen assailants, 
eyes wide, the faces twisted into a revolting rictus of terror and agony, but with no evidence of any physical harm being done to any of them. No injuries, no indications of gas or poisoning. Even the ship's dog was dead, its face also frozen in a ghastly grimace. The boarding party found the captain's corpse on the bridge, whilst the officers were strewn about the wheelhouse and chart room. The communications officer, as dead as the rest, and in the same state, was still at his post, finger resting on the wireless telegraph. As the boarding party searched the ship, they found no evidence of foul play or damage to the vessel. And the only strange factor, besides the entire crew being dead, of course, was that the cargo hold was bitterly cold, below freezing, while the outside temperature was a roasting 110 degrees. The boarding party decided it was best to attach a tow line to the Orang Maidan and have the Silver Star tow her to port for further investigation. But as soon as the tow line was attached, they noticed black smoke billowing out of the cargo hold. The party scarcely had time to cut the rope and leave the ship when the Orang Maidan exploded, lifting herself up out of the water with tremendous force and then sinking swiftly beneath the waves. As it sank, it took with it the bodies of its crew, and the story of what happened to the men on board would pass into legend. What killed the crew of the Orang Maidan? We'll never know, but it may one day again rear its ugly head to claim the lives of more seafarers in shock and terror. That one sucks. <laughs> that, <laughs> that one is, one, yeah. That one sucks. Imagine being these sailors on the Silver Star. Because the Orang Maidan was about the size of a, of a Liberty ship, so this thing would have had a crew of a couple hundred people. Yeah, it was a large vessel. And yeah, it was big, and everyone was dead. The ship's dog was dead. Nobody Frozen was alive. Frozen in place. Frozen in place. Frozen lying in place. on the ground. <gasps> yeah. Ooh. And anything it might have been carrying, and you know, whenever ships burn like this, a lot of time it was nitroglycerin, which you weren't supposed to transport. Yeah doesn't kill you like that. Not like that. It doesn't do that. Not like that. And and maybe, you know, it was carrying a cargo that would have had, had some indication that would have, like, leaked. Maybe it was, like, poisonous gas or something like that. But that leaves a physical trace. Mm -hmm. That leaves, like, bloody foam. That leaves petechiae. That leaves yeah, it, a it, whole it, bunch of physical indications of exactly what happened. And these... And, and the log of the Silver Star states that the crew of the Orang Maidan, apart from looking like they had been literally scared to death, had no evidence of physical harm. Yeah, there were no wounds. There no were wounds, no bruises. Nothing. There was no, like, there, like you said, there was no blood, there was no foam. Nothing. Yeah, that one, oof. So, on that note, I say we get into our final, final entry in the countdown. And I, I, I can imagine that everyone has guessed what our number one yeah. phantom ship is going to be, and with good reason, uh, the ship that probably inspired Samuel Taylor Coleridge to write The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yep. The Flying Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman. This ghostly galleon is the most famous of phantom ships, and the legends that have sprung up around it have resonated with sailors for centuries to this very day. It's said that the ship was once a merchantman for the Dutch East India Company, famed for the wealth of her cargoes and the speed of her voyages, because the captain had sold his soul to the devil himself in exchange for riches beyond imagination. But one night, off the Cape of Good Hope, 
Sailing into the midst of a massive storm, the captain's devilish luck finally ran out, and he could find no safe anchorage or pilot to guide them. His crew shouted for him to turn back, and the passengers pleaded with him, but the man, crazed with his lust for wealth, would not be swayed, saying, I would sail until doomsday to get this cargo home. Thus his ship, loaded with riches beyond compare, sank to the bottom of the sea, taking everyone aboard with it, and that should have been the end of it. But as all deals with the devil go, this one came at a price. As the quarterdeck was about to slip beneath the waves, a shadowy figure appeared on the deck and spoke to the captain. All your life, you have lusted only for wealth, guided only by avarice. Thus shall you be condemned to sail the oceans for eternity with a crew of dead men, bringing death to all who sight your ship, never making port, and never knowing a moment's peace. Gaul shall be your drink, and red-hot iron your meat. And with a dark chuckle, as the waves crashed over the man's head, the dark figure returned from whence he came. And so, in the centuries hence, it has been said that a huge spectral vessel looms out of the mists, or appears out of the inky darkness of night, its black sails spread full, its spars creaking as if in a full gale. The ghostly captain, pacing the quarterdeck in despair, bareheaded and repentant, pleading to the heavens for mercy at last, but to no avail. And the crew of ghastly, grinning skeletons mans the rigging. Sometimes the appearance of the ghostly vessel would turn the food supplies rotten, or bring the wind to a halt, damning the unfortunate men who spotted her to be becalmed, unable to reach a source of supply, and condemned to a slow death by starvation. Sometimes lookouts who spotted her would fall to their deaths from the tops, or be crushed by a cannon that had broken its moorings. Other times she would appear in the distance, disappearing into a fog bank, and the unfortunate vessel would follow her, only to sail straight into the rocks or reefs hidden just beyond the fog, sending her crew to a watery death by drowning. Sometimes the appearance of the ghost ship would precede a massive storm, the kind that breaks ships apart and causes them to founder. Sometimes she pulls alongside, giving a benign appearance to pass letters aboard, as ships so often did in these days. But to open and read those letters, would summon all the demons of hell and the spirits of the men who died horrible deaths at sea to pull the bodies and souls of the crew into the very depths for all eternity, joining the legions of the damned. Whatever the story may be, what they all have in common is that the Flying Dutchman is a portent of doom and misfortune. Where she sails, sailors meet a cruel end. In 1881, the future English king, George V, was a midshipman aboard HMS Picante when he noticed, when he noted in his diary that a lookout and the officer of the watch both saw the ghostly vessel cross their path in the dark of night, but thought no harm could come to them. That is, until the next day, when the lookout fell to his death from the topmast, and within the month the officer of the watch had died in horrible pain of a burst ulcer. More recent sightings were noted in 1942 by Admiral Karl Dönitz, head of the German Navy's submarine force in World War II, who noted that many submarines had reported seeing a ghostly Indiaman at full sail off of Africa during the course of their tours of duty. Sadly, of the dozen or so U-boats that had made these reports, every single one of them, without exception, have been destroyed 
and lost with all hands by war's end. And so it may be that when you're on the water, when the fog is rolling in or dark has fallen or a storm is brewing, you may see this phantom ship and her crew of unfortunate damned souls. And for your sake, if you do, then I hope the story of the Flying Dutchman isn't true. And that's the Flying Dutchman. Yeah, the easily the most popular phantom ship of all time. By far the most famous. This thing has so many literary references, mm -hmm. uh, you know, brought into modern films, the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Yeah, it's it's without question become the most popular. Uh, it's it's now a, a true piece of pop culture more it than is. it is just a lot of very old stories and myths. Um, these stories out of the 40s. There was a lot of these sightings are 20th century, mm -hmm. and it's never one or two people. Yeah, um, it's crews. It was whenever uh, Prince George of Wales saw it, there were 13 men that saw it. Yeah, it wasn't. One guy on the bridge saw a little flicker of light. Thirteen men saw a ship overtake them at full sail. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the story that the um, the HMS Ark Royal, a uh, a British aircraft carrier in the Second World War, many many men aboard saw this this phantom sailing ship for a moment, and then the next day, the Ark Royal was torpedoed and sunk by a U boat. You know, there's this story of. Um, this apocryphal tale that the, the Flying Dutchman appeared to the to the crew of the um, Deepwater Horizon, the the oil platform. Now this is apocryphal, but you right. know it's worth mentioning that it appeared to the crew of the Deepwater Horizon, the um, the the oil drilling platform that, that burned and exploded and caused that massive oil spill in the in the Gulf of Mexico in 2010. I mean this is 2010, and and there are even more recent sightings reported. Um, so. Yeah, this is an old legend, but it still holds credence today. So, I think that is uh, going to wrap up our little Halloween special. Hopefully yeah, we... Our, uh, our little trick and treat. Gave you a couple spooky stories to think about, to tell your friends. Uh, Chris, if they want to... If the, everybody listening out there wants to follow us on social media, where can they find us? You can find us on Twitter at PodcastTRR. On Facebook, all you have to do is search Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. The same can be said for YouTube. Search us there, Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. Uh, be sure to subscribe to get all of our newest content as it appears. And check us out on Instagram to find all of our behind-the-scenes footage at TRRPod. And you can find me on Instagram at MeatNeck. You can find me on Twitter at MeatNeck2. And you can follow me on Instagram at NightlifeCommando. If you dare. <laughs> uh, some special thanks, uh, of course, always to Sleeping on the Floor at My Feet, Jack, our canine outreach specialist. Special thanks to the Bloody Seaman, as always, for the use of their music. Um, given the recent events with the Tree of Life uh, synagogue shooting, Please consider donating to the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society at act.hias.org or directly to the Tree of Life Orla Simcha uh, Synagogue at www.tolos.org slash give. Everybody out there listening, please have a very safe and happy Halloween. And as always, 
you glorious, spooky motherfuckers. Hold oh, fast. fast. <laughs> 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 <laughs>